You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So, uh, we've got some news. Do tell. And it's not just that you're going to be a grandma. I mean, that's kind of old news to people who know us by now. Yeah, because we got a significant baby bump going on now. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird to see your child with a baby bump. That just shouldn't happen. Yeah, I imagine. That's insane. So, um, no, and this this is not just news that pertains to us as much of what we chat about at the front of the show is, but of course we... You know, in response to listener feedback, we do that for everyone to get to know us a little bit. Whether you want to or not. Whether you want to or not, there are things you're going to find out about us. But uh, no, this actually, this is news that pertains to our listeners. And that is, uh, you probably have already seen it online if you follow us on Facebook. But our store is open. We have shirts, which I'm kind of covered up here. Uh, There's a raven on the other the side of that mic. Yeah, on the other side. Uh, we have mugs so far. Um, other things we have, we have an iPhone case I put up there the other day. Did you oh, see I that? Oh, I didn't see that one. I put up an iPhone case and, uh, there are also baby clothes. Um, <laughs> so Emily, if you need to do any shopping for the little one. Make sure the grandchild is, uh, promoting the merchandise. That That's good. Yeah. Please. Yeah. And that, now the cool thing about the, our merchandise is, uh, so far all of it is custom designs. Uh, there is no clip art. Uh, it's all custom designs with some with some writing. Uh, we have some stuff up there for the commentarians. We have some stuff up there for faith and other oddities. We have we have some joint venture stuff up there, and um, all that is drawn by Emily. So far, we're looking at uh, bringing in some other graphic people for some different ideas that Emily doesn't feel she wants to tackle. Yeah, because drawing all the stuff and trying to come up with content is it's kind of um, daunting. So if anybody wants to like contact us and you know maybe audition a piece, I'm willing to to look at new designs. Absolutely, absolutely. We we definitely need some some help in some of our graphic design area. But I think that and a lot and I say that a lot is kind of like my technical ability to resize photos and and things like that to make them look good. I just have to kind of hope that when I put something on a shirt that it's, it will look good. I've ordered a couple proofs for myself. And you notice he's the only one who's got them. That's because I'm the only one who's paid for the proofs. Um, but uh, the t-shirts, I can tell you that actually the design we have out there does look good. It really does. I, I, I Not just because I drew it, but it, it, it looks good. Yeah, but I, I went ahead, you know, I made the sacrifice to order a couple shirts um, to make sure that they looked good. And I think they do. The mugs look fantastic. And um, we've got a few different options up there for that. But be sure to check out the store. Um, it's it's good stuff, good quality merchandise. and it It's is, kind of cool to see, you know, something you've worked on to, to actually be a part of something besides just your sketchbook. So yeah, yeah. So it's so that's but that's exciting to us. So um, but yeah. So what, what are what is it we're uh, working on today? Uh, well, we actually have some listener questions and I'm really excited to kind of start out with the first one because we got this question before we started recording and it came from a friend of mine and I'm not going to mention her name on air because I didn't get permission. Um, but I will give a little background. So if anybody knows her, uh, you'll, you'll recognize her. And if you're a part of the scandals group, you're going to recognize her right off the bat. And I don't think she's going to have a problem with that. But this is a friend of mine who, um, 
has for years and years and years claimed to be an atheist, but we are such good friends. And we are, if I've got a problem, I can call her and she's going to do everything in the world to get there for me. And she's just a really great person. So she and I kind of have these really weird conversations about faith. And she, she thinks it's kind of humorous that she and I are such good friends um, since I am all about faith and into the text. And I, I love that. It's such a huge part of my life. And here she's almost anti-religious. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but, you know, she's like most of us. She's been burned by religion. And I, I can understand that. So um, she asked us to uh, answer a question for her. And I'm just going to read uh, what she sent me in a text message. And it says, can you define what it means to be an atheist and agnostic? I want to know why I should listen to your show and what does it mean to me as someone who is not a Christian? For a long time, I called myself an atheist, but I think I might be more of an agnostic. Where do I fit into what you were doing? So this is where we get to jump in. Yeah. So you've got these kind of outlined in order. Um it, well, kind of in order. It's almost on a spectrum. I think you have atheist and antitheist kind of backwards. I don't know if you actually do know. I mean. Well, uh, atheists say there absolutely is no God. And so there's no God. You don't have to fight against him. You don't have to resist him because he simply does not exist. So you, would, you wouldn't put that because I, I know a lot of people, and this is again, you know, you can't put everything on a spectrum, but I know a lot of people kind of reverse that and put antitheist um, just way out there as in like vehemently opposed to even anyone bringing up the idea of God. Those are the people who are going to tell you to, you know, you can't celebrate Christmas in the public schools, um, you know, just things of that nature. Well, I, I think that kind of comes down to um, uh, to our idea of what's the difference, the, the opposite of love. Is the opposite of love hate or is it indifference? Yeah. And so atheists are indifferent. So to me, indifference is worse than hate. And I think that's actually further from love than hate. Well, see, and I, I kind of see opposite of love as selfishness, but I don't know how that... Well, selfishness leads to indifference to other people, so it kind of still works. Well, that, I guess that'd kind of be fall somewhere on the spectrum there. Always so. fun trying to define your terms and figure out how to be precise with your language. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it never ends. It's ever, ever since that whole Babel thing, so... Which we're going to talk about soon, so yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. I gotta put the plug in, so be listening... More to come it's on not that. Not next week, but that's that's pretty soon. It is soon, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no. So the, the, the atheist they they don't even have to resist God because he doesn't exist. Uh, they might have to resist people who believe in God, mm -hmm. but they aren't actually uh, engaging with God because how do you engage with quote unquote an imaginary character? And I've even heard some some prominent atheists refer to our God is a fairy tale and a myth and use sure. kind of these derogatory terms towards people who... Well, and, and that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I see a lot of the prominent atheists and a lot of a lot of people are kind of referred to as like the new atheists, such as like Dawkins and who's the other guy? Uh, Harris? Is that the yes, other one? Yes, Sam Harris. And those, those guys, and not, not to just single them out, but, you know, their work is public, so that's, they're just an easy reference point. I, they say they're atheists, but I see their work as anti-theist. Uh, based on a lot of things they say. Well, and how do you come back against Christians and it not be against God? Right. And, and so that's kind of where things start to get fuzzy uh, as far as their stated stance, because we as Christians say we are representing God. God lives within us. So when you confront us, you are confronting God. Mm -hmm. And so whenever they think they're just coming against a person, we're seeing them as coming against God. 
And so then now things get blurred and mixed up. Yeah, well, and and I, here's a question for you. Do you think that the church um, has kind of paved the way for that kind of thinking, where it's the idea of, uh, <laughs> yeah, love the face. I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> it's the idea that, uh, you know, we hear people talk about Old Testament gods and things like that, and they're like, oh, well, there, there weren't actually any other gods in the Old Testament. It was just the ideas uh, of gods and these these imagined cre- beings that people had, and there's only one real god. Um do you think that kind of paved the way for that kind of thinking uh, to just, you know, because to, to, to go from, from monotheism to atheism, you just have to get rid of one character? I hadn't thought of it in that terms, but I think there is something to that, because when we erase the supernatural spiritual side of the world and we try to boil it down to scientific assumptions and principles, now we have this very one-dimensional existence mm-hmm. that is centered on our self-survival. And But if you've got a dynamic, responsive spiritual world, good or evil, now there's other factors to take into place, uh, take into consideration the, because they are in play. Yeah. And so uh, there might be something to that. But I actually thought you were going to go, do we think we've paved the way because the way Christians have acted towards people who are not part of the Christian community? Um, well, th- I mean, there's some of that too, but I, I, I was going with the idea philosophically, I mean, because we talk about oftentimes with uh, you know, with the Enlightenment, um, with uh, empirical data, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the scientific method was was invented because, uh, our, you know, it was believed that our senses and our uh, our minds were corrupt. So you had to have objective standards to measure things by. And so as we keep putting in more and more objective standards um, and people keep asking to play by the same rules inside and outside of the church, um, that we've kind of given people the freedom to to make their own decisions on that in a lot of ways. And I, I think it's been good and bad. Um, I mean, I think it's been good. I think the idea has been good, but I think it's been good. But I think it's given an opportunity for people to take advantage of it who want to run the opposite direction. Well, and let's just be, to be fair, we can look at our own individual experience and we twist memories. Sure. All the time. Mm-hmm. And so for us to say that our understanding or belief in God is strictly and solely based on our personal experience, we can talk ourselves out of it very easily. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's been times I've wanted to because following God was going to cost me something I didn't want to give up. Yeah. Well, no, it was actually it's kind of interesting. I was, I was really uh, pretty excited because I was in the one of the worship leader groups that I'm in, and, and someone asked a question about theology and and experiencing God and things like that. And I was really impressed because the the person who answered actually answered with a theologically minded answer, or one of the people that answered, not all of them, but, um, you know, you get, you get your mix of people who, I don't know, it's, it's so funny because it's in the Christian group, but all the reactions are just as varied as the wide open internet. You know, you've got the people spouting truisms, you've got the people who are antagonistic to the questioner, like, well, why are you even asking that question? Shouldn't you know that by now? Well, if you've got the answer, why don't you just answer it? You know? The answer's always Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have the people who are given that answer. Um, then you have the people who, who you can tell have no idea what the question was even about, trying to say something spiritual. I mean, it's, it's, it really runs the gamut. Um, and so if I had anyone listening from that group, they're probably stopped by now. But, but it really does run the gamut of, of just all different backgrounds. Um, but 
Where was I going with that? I knew that was going to be the next thing out of your mouth. Uh, <laughs> somebody ask a question. But yeah, when when we ask the question, you know, we, we need to be ready to to answer um, honestly. But there was something I was thinking about with the uh, with the whole empirical method. And well, you know, there, there's there's validity in personal experience. Oh, that's what it was—the personal experience thing. Because that was that was one of the things, like because it was a question about experiencing the presence of God, and and the the answer was, you know, Christianity is, isn't the only religion to uh, have ecstatic. Um, utterances that it's not the only one to uh, have altered mental states, things of that nature, and so yeah, our our experience can be subjective, even to the point of of bringing our minds into an alternate state of reality. Uh, whether that's uh, whether we think that's a chemical uh, mm-hmm. reaction that goes on when our minds are in certain states, or whether we think that's influenced by uh, beings in the in the unseen realm, or what have you. Um, we can't just go subjectively on that, but that's a whole nother tangent. So well, we're talking gonna, about atheists and antitheists, but go ahead. Well, I, I've got to tag this on because it, it, it fits right in with what you were saying. Uh, we go back to Moses whenever he confronts Pharaoh and the wise men that Pharaoh had, they do the same miracles that Moses and Aaron are performing. Right. They're, it's not a counterfeit. The Bible's very clear that these spiritual entities that these men serve are actually allowing their priests and their prophets to do the same thing that God's prophets are doing. Now, what's very interesting that what most people don't think about is I think it's up to the sixth plague. They're still able to mimic. Now they can't undo the plagues, but they can still mimic. And so there's validity in personal experience, but we also need to have that empirical data that we can go back to. And, but even above that, I think that's where Christianity kind of wins out because we can say there is an outside standard and, um, I'm just going to throw this out there. I hadn't planned on going there. A lot of people don't realize that I'm bipolar too. And so, uh, you know, that kind of makes for an interesting uh, emotional roller coaster sometimes. And people have asked me how I've managed to, to handle it. It's because I've got that outside standard of lines that I will and will not cross. Mm-hmm. And so having that and knowing that my emotions lie to me, knowing that even my thoughts can lie to me, knowing that my perceptions can lie to me, allow me to make decisions that are in keeping with my faith and the truest part of who I am, which the truest part of me is the part that's in alignment with God. Right. So, um, but yeah, and I'm not, you know, I can throw that out there and I can talk about that. That's not anything big. I think we need to talk about stuff like that because it helps remove the stigma. Um, Absolutely. But anyway, um, yeah. So we talked about um, atheists not believing that God exists. Anti-theists say that there is a God mm-hmm. and now we need to fight back. and. I don't know many people with that attitude, actually. With the, the antitheist the, attitude? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, and that's, I, I don't know many people. I know some people who are kind of borderline there. Um, I know some people, it's kind of funny, I know some people who say they're, like, borderline there, um, but I've never had an interaction with them that would, that would be, that would be, I would even begin to consider hostile, even when I do talk about my faith. Well, you know, uh, I think the closest I've ever been is my roommate in college was a Satanist. Right. And uh, she, she actually said that her, um, her desire or decision to become a Satanist actually came from the fact that her, her father died while she was a teenager. And so she was angry at God. Mm-hmm. And so she's one of the few people I can say that actually is an anti-theist. Well, that's not even like anti-theist. That's just a different God. Well, yeah. Well, she's against the God of the Bible. 
So, yeah. yeah. Which that's anti-specific, <laughs> specific deity. I don't know. So, um, so <laughs> I don't know. Okay. What, 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 Where are we going now? What, what's next one? Agnostic. I think the next one's agnostic. Mm-hmm. So agnostic, I, I think really this is kind of, of these three, this is probably the most honest. Yeah. That if and, there is a God. And probably the most prominent nowadays. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I've run into even people who go to church on a regular basis who will fall in this category if mm-hmm. they get very honest with themselves. And basically, it's God is so far outside of our experience and our plane of existence that we can't even begin to know anything about him. Right. So he may be out there. He probably is out there. But I can't know because uh, agnostic actually comes from the Greek. Uh, gnosis is to know. Knowledge, yeah. and a is against or uh, or anti or in this case can't you can't know so. right yeah and and this is actually it's kind of funny i I've, i mean i've had several conversations with people who are agnostic and they always say you know god is if god is able to create the universe then there is no way we can he's got to be so far removed from what we are that there's no way we could comprehend him and i i, I have to agree with that mm-hmm. um because we can't comprehend and to be comprehend is just to is to be able to fully encompass and say i know all the parts of this and that's a whole lot different to me than interacting with that makes sense uh, and you know and if you think about it this way um let's say you know i, I love the you know everyone's saying you know god's a kid with an ant farm okay well let's let's take that analogy well, let's say it is kind of that idea but it's in, instead of you know just Mindless ants who act only, you know, as automatons, you know, but let's say, you know, we are kind of intelligent ants. Well, who's to say we couldn't put our hand on the glass every now and again while God is speaking and go, hey, I think there's a pattern to these vibrations. Or who's to say that God doesn't understand, you know, if, uh, you know, because to me, it's like, it goes beyond that. It's like, God didn't just build the ant farm. He built the ants. Right. And because <laughs> if we're looking at ant farm, we have no idea what's going through the ants' minds. Right. And, but according to the Bible and Christianity, God does know what's going through our minds. And so he knows how to respond. Whereas, you know, I had an ant farm growing up mm-hmm. and I killed a lot of ants because I didn't know what their needs were. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, well, for one, God built the ants. And number two, like, we understand enough about ants to know they, they do communicate through their antenna, through pheromones, through scents, and things like that. Well, who's to say God doesn't know how to manufacture the pheromones to tell us the things that he wants us to do? So, I mean, we, we, we can definitely say, no, we can't break into whatever dimensional barrier it, it is bet- that's between us and God and, and go there on our own volition. But we also, we can say, you know, we can't say that God can't choose to interact in a way that he can understand towards us. So basically what you're saying is... If there's a God smart enough to create all this, there's a God smart enough to make himself known in all of this. Well, you know, okay. Yeah. It, if I'm smart enough, okay, if I'm smart enough, I got my Doctor Who Lego set up here. <laughs> if I'm smart enough to put all that together, you can't tell me after I put it together, I'm not smart enough to still touch the mini figures. Right. Right. Which I, actually takes us back to deism. That's the next level. Right. Which deism is this idea that God created us and then God put us on a shelf and forgot about us. And so we aren't even the ant farm that God's taking care of. We're the ant farm that God forgot. And we're, we're which, set in motion. And... Which is even more dismal than the other one. 
It, it really is. I mean, because that's that's actually the point where I got to after my divorce, and was uh, you know I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed for God to fix me, fix my husband, fix my marriage, and God wasn't responding. And that's a miserable, hopeless place to be. Right. And so I I can't imagine anyone willingly ascribing to this, but I know there has to be because we have, I mean, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Well, there's a word for it. Right. <laughs> well, good I, I mean, I, you, I don't, I don't see us like making up imagine. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to sit and, and, and postulate all the possible positions on the theological spectrum and then invent names for people to maybe one day occupy. I don't think. No, it, actually I can see us doing that. I could see that. us doing that. <laughs> I, I could see some of our really smart friends. I've got, uh, you know, I've got a couple theologian friends who are like, they're they're more into like the systematic theology, and so everything has a very technical term. And uh, and as much as I love what what we get from academia, I do think a good portion of academia is just making up big words for common sense activity. Um, it can be. I, I'm just. I, I that's a joke. I know that's not all of it. Yeah, because I have to watch myself because there's a part of me that agrees with you and there's a part of me that I like my theological terms. <laughs> no, I understand. No, there, there is actually, you know, for, for whenever you get into talking about a lot of the concepts, yes, it is a much easier thing to have a linguistic shortcut rather than having to describe the whole process every time you want to refer to it. So, you know, I get it. I get the necessity, especially whenever you get up on the higher level stuff, to be able to, to have that that. That ling- basically, you know, a linguistic shortcut is what that's my. Well, that, that's really what they are because, but I mean, we all have them. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about religion, we're talking about Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, we can talk about being on the bridge and you aren't going to stop and explain what the bridge is to everyone right. if they know it. So we, we all have them. Uh, we just have to make sure that, that we're on the same page. And by applying those titles, we get there. Where were we in this conversation? Because I got totally. <laughs> oh, we, we were talking about uh, deism. Okay. And and that there must be people who do that because we're not just going to invent words for people to someday occupy their meaning. Yeah, and then we realize that we have friends who would do that. Okay, now that we're all caught up, so then the next level would be listener challenge. Um, we need you, <laughs> listener challenge. Okay, here it is. Uh, I we need you to formulate and submit to us on in the on our Facebook page a word for a new theological um. Uh, level position, of belief. <laughs> level of belief, a new theological position, new theological understanding, label, term, whatever you want it to be, that uh, you don't know of anyone who would actually be in this position, but we need you to bring us a word, invent one for us. Uh, let's see what you got. I love it. Sorry. I, I think this is kind of along the challenge of can you invent a new color? Uh, so. No, I think it's a little different. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, it's, it, it's, I, I can see the connection in my mind. Moving on. Well, you can't just give people new rods and cones. That's the <laughs> challenge with the color thing. So, and you're not actually inventing a new color, though, because it's already there. Right. You can't invent a you're new You're just color. perceiving it. We're, we're going backwards. <laughs> like, in the conversation, too. Yeah. Cultural Christianity. <laughs> Moving on. Cultural Christianity. So, cultural Christians. I think, by and large, this is where... And I'm not trying to sound too hateful when I say this, but I think the majority of quote unquote Christians fall under this label. 
And these are people, oh, hold on, I got my, my um, let me write down who, let me read what I wrote down. She's, she's reading it because mm-hmm. she wants to make sure that she's not just saying bad things about people. Yeah, because I can get a little snarky about, about cultural <laughs> Christians because I think, honestly, they're, they're the reason that Christianity has a bad name. But that's a whole other conversation. Cultural Christians are those who claim to, uh, to adhere to Christian values and ethics but do not necessarily affirm the deity of Christ or the reality of God. This can apply to atheists, agnostics, pagans, or anyone who affirms the validity of Christian ethics. And by and large, I think we live in a culture that does affirm the validity of most Christian ethics. Maybe not all. We're kind of traveling into some gray areas uh, Mm -hmm. with our culture. But, you know, don't steal. I think we can pretty much all say, don't do that. That that's, that's a bad thing. Robbing a bank is not wise, smart, or good. Right. Um, don't kill. We can, I think most of us affirm that. Yeah, yeah, that's, I would, I would affirm that. And, and I think this is where a lot of people say, oh, I'm a Christian because they know they aren't Buddhist, they know they're not Muslim, they know they're not Hindu, or they went to church a couple of times, grandma, and maybe they even said the printer, sinner's prayer when they were eight years old. Right. But there was no real effective change in their life. And I think we've got a lot of people who this is kind of where they camp out. We are an American culture that's kind of been synonymous with Christianity for what a number of years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh it, it's but there's no real knowledge about the Bible. There's no real desire to study. Mm-hmm. Uh as soon as that, you know, hey, uh, thou shalt not steal, but if everybody else at the job is doing it, then it's okay. Right. And so we do lip service, and this is where we get into hypocrisy and all right. the things that make us look bad. Right, which, and, and you have a nominal Christian. How would you compare and contrast that to cultural Christian? Okay, so I actually pulled this from the Lausanne Committee um, for World Evangelism. Uh, Lausanne Committee, is, or the Lausanne Movement, grew out of a conference by, uh, from Billy Graham in 1976. And um, so this is their definition. A nominal Christian is a person who has not responded in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. Might be active in church, give an intellectual assent that Christianity is a good idea, may claim to be a Christian, but may not have fully entered into a covenant relationship with Christ. So, so like a hair's breadth away. Yeah, it's almost, uh, you know, as I was reading through some of the stuff, I kind of got the feeling it's someone who's working for their salvation. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I, if I just fake it long enough, then I'm going to make it. Yeah. And uh, as a quick, as a quick aside, I used to think that that phrase was a hair's breadth and not a hair's breadth. And so I was like, but not like H A I R, like H A R E. And so I wasn't really sure like how the breathing of a hair, okay. what it had to do with, with distance. So of a rabbit. Yeah. Like a rabbit, like, <laughs> like a hair's breadth. Yeah. Like a hair's breadth, not a hair's hair's breadth. I thought you would find that funny. That's a rabbit trail we could go down. Because <laughs> now I'm thinking of air, like an yeah. air to an air's breath. That that could be really short too, if you're talking. <laughs> but it was, I was like, yeah. I, so that's um, right after I said that, I was like, well, that's a funny story. So um, yeah. So th- so they're almost the same though. It's the, very close. I, I think a cultural Christian is probably less involved than the way Lausanne is is uh, defining a nominal Christian. You're thinking that, so basically, you'd say like the cultural Christian would be the the person who 
doesn't may not even go to church, but the then the nominal Christian is the person who's like there because wife's there. Yeah, or it's the right something thing to like do. that. Or or they're like everybody else in you know where we're at in Oklahoma. You go to church like you go to the movies. It's something to do. Right. Yeah. It's free rock show every Sunday. So <laughs> you want to go down that rabbit trail? I am. You know, <laughs> I can. I'm not against like contemporary music, but. That's a whole, that's that's for a whole another day. Let's save that for closer to whenever I finally get my book wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to go into that. Uh, there's been some pushback against this term uh, because uh, some people are saying you're either a Christian in disobedience and sin, or you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. That basically, if your behavior is not following what you say you believe, then you can't possibly be a Christian, or you're in sin and you need to repent. And now I, I, I think you can be either of those things. Yeah. It, it, well, and. I honestly believe there's there's a point in the Bible where it talks about a sin unto death, that uh-huh. if you're going to continue to disgrace God by claiming to be one of his kids, and you're going to be stupid, then he's going to take you out, because he talks about a sin unto death. Well, and, there's the sin unto death, and there's uh, Paul saying, I've turned him over to the Satan to, for the destruction of the flesh. Was it destruction of the flesh so that his soul might be saved or something? Yeah, that's it. in 1 Corinthians 5. Yeah, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but yeah, the, the gist is that, you know, uh, we're going to stop you before you can carry on any more sin. And, you know, a lot of people think that's like totally unloving, but, you know, I remember the reason why I never did drugs because, and, and I haven't, and people are always surprised when I don't even smoke pot. And it's, you know, that it's just not my thing. And the reason why is because our father, our physical, biological father, one day we happened to be at the house and he's breaking kindling with his bare hands. And he says, do you know about drugs? And I said, yes. And he says, if you do them, I will kill you. And I believed him. That was the drug talk <laughs> that in was, our house. Yes. So, yeah. But I, but I never doubted my dad loved me. And I knew that he would kill me before he would let me hurt myself with drugs. Right. And so I have no problem transferring that example of an earthly father onto the heavenly father where he says, I'm not going to let you destroy yourself that to that level i will take you out before you get that far and i don't think it's unloving um then biblical christianity is the final oh no sorry it's not the final um biblical christianity this is someone who um, a level above biblical sorry uh, go ahead go ahead i'm Uh, I'm gonna read Biblical christianity is someone who actually tries to live their christian faith according to the dictates of god's word as best they understand it um and i want i want to put that caveat on there because there's going to be people who are Christians, who are living as faithfully as they know how to, to the level of their understanding that we may disagree with. It does Mm -hmm. not disqualify them from being a brother and sister in Christ. It just means that they're at a different place in their walk than we might be. And that could be a maturity thing. That could be a cultural thing. That could be an ignorance thing. And I'm not using ignorance to put anyone down there. I'm just saying sometimes we just don't know. So being a, a genuine Christian for me, that really centers around, are you living your convictions? Because I do believe we all live from the place of our convictions. Right. And so we need to to live that faithfully and try to to be honest about what we believe. Right. So. Now, how does that differ? I didn't, actually didn't look too closely at the notes before the show. Surprise. Surprise. Um, I find it's a lot more fun if we just get to talk about this stuff. But the, um, so I see next you have Seeker. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I saved this to last Go ahead. Now, are, is it 
is it farther on in the spectrum, or are you just saving it to last? I, I saved it for last for a purpose. Okay. Because my friend, I think this is really the answer for her. Okay. Because I think this is where she is. I think my friend is really trying to figure out how the puzzle pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and she's going to kill me for saying this. Uh, okay, not literally, but she might hit me. Uh, she's that kind of friend. <laughs> Those are the best friends. Yeah, I love her. As long as it's not, you know, like inflicting damage, it's fine. <laughs> Pain, not damage. There is a distinction. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, you know, she's someone who wants to know how it fits. She wants to understand what does this mean to be a Christian? What would it mean? How does it impact her life? And she doesn't need a philosophy. She needs something real and practical that she can live out and hold on to in her day-to-day world, which honestly is crazy. Um, and I, I won't even tell you any of her story because it's not my story to tell, but she lives a crazy existence and she, she needs something to help her through that. And she needs something that's not just going to be lip service. She doesn't need another Hallmark card. If you're going to send her a Hallmark card, you better put a gift card to Walmart in there. Right. So, uh, and, and seekers really are, they're trying to understand, they're trying to work it out. And I think. Seekers are dangerous to a lot of Christians who are very comfortable and complacent mm-hmm. because they shake our faith. Well, they ask they ask the hard questions, and that's actually. I was having a conversation. Uh, I've got a pastor friend. Well, Craig, I'm just going to name him because because yeah. I love Craig, and yeah, we love Craig. We've known him for. I mean, I've known him since I was like 16, mm-hmm. and what am I 35? So I've known I've known this guy almost 20 years. That's a, that's a long time. And uh, we have great conversations. We we don't get as together as much as we used to because he's got kids. I've got kids. His kids are in high school. Mine are in uh, not even school yet. Um, but, you know, we go have coffee. Uh, Craig was the one I moved here when when we were planning the church. Um, Craig performed our, our mine and Mickey's wedding ceremony. So we're good friends. Um, and that was one of the conversations we were having because we like to talk about, you know, what's the purpose of church? And... We, something was said about uh, seeker-sensitive church movement, and I said, you know, the problem that I have with the seeker-sensitive movement is it's so backwards because anyone who's really seeking something, when they get to church and all you get is fluff and the Hallmark card stuff, they get there and they're like, oh, well, what I'm looking for isn't here. And... When, you, when you're seeking and you get someplace that you're told is the place you should go and there's nothing there, yeah, I mean, that's discouraging. And, and, that's, and I still run into that same kind of, I, don't see, I don't, probably don't think quite the same level of discouragement, but I still run into that same kind of discouragement. And I, I do have a faith that believes in God. Well, and I think one of the things that, that complacent Christians, and that's not even on our list, but I think there's a, a lot of us who are very complacent. We know that we're going to heaven when we die. We know that God's real. We don't really feel like we need to ask the questions anymore. Yeah. And so there's a lot of times you'll find there's an impatience. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how dare you ask that? Uh, but I love what Heschel has to say. He, you know, Religion presupposes it has the answer. Right. Philosophy teaches us how to ask the question. And some mm-hmm. of us need to go back and learn how to ask the questions and to be patient with the questions. Because the questions, they really teach us the importance of the answer. They help us value the answer. Mm-hmm. And if, if we don't know what the question is, then, then the answer is almost meaningless. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of funny. And, you know, this is not to get political, but you love him, hate him, I, it doesn't matter. I don't know that much about him, but Trey Gowdy had one of the best quotes 
uh, he in, in one of the congressional hearings. And I don't remember. I don't even know which one it was. So please don't roast me about my politics on this. I, I don't even remember which, which one it came from. But apparently someone gave an answer to a question. And his response was, that's a perfectly fine answer to a question no one just asked you. <laughs> and I feel like that's a... I feel like that's just such a great summary of how the church interacts with the world. We are trying to give people answers that they to questions they haven't even asked. And so the church has to get better at listening to what the question actually is. Well, and what I think is very interesting that despite the fact that my friend has this really crazy life and it, it's nitty gritty, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, blood and bone kind of life that, that she lives. And, uh, but when she gets excited about the conversations, it, it's when we start talking about those awe-inspiring moments. Mm -hmm. It's about the things in the Bible that that make her imagination wake up and force her to actually real, realign her vision of the world and to maybe look beyond herself. And so I think that's another area that the supernatural, the divine world council, um, divine council worldview uh, comes into play. And, and, you know, even though we need real world answers, we still need something that inspires us. And that word inspiration means to breathe in the breath of God. Mm -hmm. And so we, we need to be able to breathe in that, that spiritual aspect. And believe it or not, that is a real answer. And I think sometimes as a church, we're scared to give that. We're scared to give those, those supernatural answers because they seem too far out there for you know, the, the, those who aren't highly spiritually minded, but I think the truth is we're all spiritually minded. We just may or may not have realized it yet. So. So, well, and the, there was a follow-up to that question uh, to, yes. to all those answers. So. Yeah. Okay. What is, what do we have to do? To, uh, what do we have to offer someone like my friend? Why should she listen? And uh, that, that the answer to that is maybe we can help bring that level of inspiration. Maybe we can uh, explain some of the things that make Christianity seem weird, make it seem odd, uh, that you see it's mm -hmm. more than just a philosophy to live by, that it is an actual living, breathing faith in a, in a real God who wants to intervene in history, yeah. in our lives. And because we're going to talk about not just things in the Bible, and those are important, and that's going to give us the backdrop for everything else that happens. But we're also going to be talking about uh, whether it's with Joe or Tandy Adams or any of our guests that we're going to have on how God has intervened and how that's shaped their world. And that's been highly influential in her life is to be able to have these conversations. And mm -hmm. it's been influential in my life is to have conversations like that with people. Yep. So that that's kind of I, I hope um, my friend continues to listen. I hope others continue to listen. Uh, and, you know, the other thing, too, that we want to do is we want to be able to provide a place for questions. So when somebody comes at us and says, hey, here, I've got a real question, we want to be able to try to tackle it the best we can. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't feel like there's a question that's off limits. We aren't going to say you're stupid for asking that. No, or... and, and there might be questions that we're just like, we're not qualified. And we, we might try to give you like the basics of those, but we'll try to get you to someone who might know better um, than we do because we we're. Well, we're quite limited whenever well, you really get down to it. <laughs> well, and I don't know is a valid answer, but right. I, I think you and I, we do like to research. And so sometimes those questions even take us to new places where we learn something that we're excited to learn. Yeah. And so if we don't get to a question right away, it may just be in the research phase too. 
yeah. And so uh, that for us, that's kind of the thing and that we, um, we enjoy searching out those questions. And that's kind of the selfish side of this. Uh, I actually enjoy the questions. It, it puts, points me in a direction I may not have gone on my own. Right. And also it, it takes us back to that whole deal about, you know, being a, a good answer to a question no one's asked. Well, what are the questions that we need to answer? Because that's going to help us just as much as it helps anyone else. Yes. And, and hopefully maybe other Christians who are listening, maybe this will help give them some answers or help them find some answers to answer the people that are asking mm-hmm. questions in their lives. So, yeah, if, I, hope, I hope that answers the question. So what, what, what was next? Our, our, um, I'm looking at our, uh, at our questions. So uh, the other questions that, we ha- that she asked was, do we have any scientific proof? Mm. The correct answer, as far as I can tell, is no. Um, because, I mean, you can look at, at data in a hundred different ways. And, and that and being a non-specialist, uh, being someone who's not in the weeds, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in this, I guess, probably speaking family too. I'm not doing archaeology. I'm not doing, um, what other disciplines would be on there? Uh, genetics, uh, just all that stuff. Uh, you know, I've read some really interesting articles that have seemed to have proof in one direction, and I've read some really interesting articles that have so, seemed to have proof in the other directions. Um, so there's no actual, like, this is the scientific proof that the God of the Bible exists. Now, um, I did, and I need, I'll put this in the show notes, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he teaches um, quantum, teaches, it's not quantum physics, ask, uh, he teaches like astral physics or something, um, <laughs> like some something. Never will forget him. Beyond my yeah. Well, I remember what he said, okay. and I think that's the most important thing. Um, but he teaches it in Jerusalem, and he also apparently teaches Torah in in, <laughs> in at the University of Jerusalem. And and it, you know, if that's not daunting enough, he also teaches like quantum physics and stuff like that. Um, but. His his uh, statement on this was such that you have to believe um, based on the ma- it, and now and this guy is not like just uh, your standard six day creationist. He is um, he's the guy who uh, last I saw built the most recent mathematical models for uh, the physical uh, the, the way that the universe could have physically built itself based on the laws of physics. That exist within the universe. Right. And that's not to disavow the six day creation or to affirm it or any of that. This is just. This is, he built a, a, right. a he built a, a mathematical model based on the physics of the universe, a, a, how this could happen. And so uh, I watched a video with him. And again, we'll put it in the show notes, but he, he has a diagram of the universe um, from the time of the Big Bang. And projects out in, you know, he kind of has a representation of it projecting out into space and time and expanding. Then he has um, what's beyond the universe and it's big blackness. And he goes, now what's beyond the universe is nothing. He goes, we like to think that what's in the universe between the stars is nothing, but no, that's uh, dark matter, things like that. It's, there's something there. Even the vacuum of space is something um, that the material of the universe is being manipulated by the laws of the universe, like gravity and time, things of that nature. 
Um, and when you get outside of the universe and there's nothing there, as far as we can tell, we don't know what physical laws exist. Or if they exist. Or if they exist. So you can trace the Big Bang back to where it started uh, mathematically. Uh, you can have a model for how the universe constructed itself. But you have to have something that, that caused it. Um, and so whatever it is that caused it, um, whether you believe, and his statement was whether you believe it's the God of the Bible or whether you believe it's some kind of force, then that has to be God for this universe. And so, but that's, th it, that's as close as I can get uh, scientifically from what I've read and heard. Essentially, faith has to come into place somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. There, it, there's an unexplainable mystery whether you want to chalk it up to to science, well, where did the the first atoms that smashed together that could have set off the Big Bang, where did they come from? Uh, or the other question, where did God come from? Somewhere that it comes down to that question, mm -hmm. where did it all begin? And we well, don't know. I mean, we 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 can't observe that. We can't measure it. Whether right. it is the Big Bang or it is God, we can't specify what it is. Well, and it, that's kind of like the conversation we were having the other day, and this is where, you know, people want to come back to, oh, well, it's an, an eternal God, and where you and I were talking about, and we didn't actually, we didn't realize, and we were talking the other day, when we, and this is kind of funny, both of us apparently as kids did the same, like, thought experiment where we took two things trying to imagine eternity on a timeline, and we kind of both ended in different places, but we took kind of like two points in our minds and tried to just separate them as far as we could and keep going and keep going. And, and the, about the moment we thought that about the, for me about the moment I thought, Oh, that's, that's, that's what eternity looks like. It's just forever. And these two points are this far apart. Well, it's like, well, no, I can still conceive of them being that far apart. So that must not be eternity. Um, and then Emily, what, what was your resolution that were you? I, you know, I got to the point where I could, actually kind of push everything to the, the greatest limits of two polar opposite extremes. And then it's, and I got to where I did that thought experiment a lot because I just mm -hmm. kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And then one day I realized that infinity, infinity does not extend simply in a one dimensional or two dimensional plane that right. it expands in all directions. And I just felt my brain like break. Yeah, it, it was just because it, it, I realized I could it, I might be able to separate two points as far as I possibly could, but I couldn't do an infinite number of points you know, right. what, from all the different angles. Uh, and if I, as a single human being with a very limited mind and well aware of how limited my mind is, it just falls apart at that point, then whatever it is that created this universe it has got to be so much more than just what I can conceive of. And so now we're back to God being beyond us, but at the same time still being something that interacts with us. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't think those things are contradictory, uh, paradoxical maybe, but it, it's still, it, they're both true. Right. Right. So, so anyway, yeah. So that's where that is. Uh, scientific, Solid proof data. That's can't give you none. Can't it, give. Yeah, it's going to come down to faith, and you're going to either believe in uh, a, a science with devoid of God, or a science with God, or a completely supernatural answer. Um, I think we're probably somewhere science with God, God with science. 
Put, yeah. put God first. God with science. That God, sounds better. God made science. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So go ahead. Uh, what, what's next? The next one is why does the Catholic Bible have extra books? Now, anybody who's Catholic that's listening is like, they're not extra. Uh, <laughs> and this is kind of funny because Nathan and I, we have friends who are Catholic. We have friends who are Lutheran, friends who are Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist. And almost everybody who belongs to a different denomination thinks that we should be in their denomination. Uh, so it's, it's kind of funny for us. Uh, okay, so the simple answer is that during the Protestant Reformation, which happened around 1500, Martin Luther, he said there needs to be some changes within the church, um, specifically the Catholic Church, and he... October, well, that was the church. That was the church. At the time. Yeah, well, you had the East, Eastern Orthodox. Right, but, but they were... Uh, off in the east, they were off in the east, and, but, you know, and we don't know. We don't study those as as uh, European descendants or Native American, even living in America, where you know everything is dictated by our European ans- the European ancestry of our forefathers. Wow, we could get into a whole debate about that. But anyway, not to downplay the Eastern the Eastern Orthodox contribution to to Christianity, right? And that's something I there's on my list of things to to dive into eventually. It's just. There's a whole bunch on, on this side too. Yeah. So, so uh, in Europe, Martin Luther says where the, the history is from. Yeah. Where Eddie, <laughs> from, to quote Eddie Izzard. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so he he said there needs to be some reforms. October thirty first, he nailed up ninety five theses, which are ninety five statements of things that he had a problem with that he felt like needed to be addressed. Uh, he uh, started kicked off the Reformation and. We won't go into all of that, what that entailed, but there was basically a break in the church at that point between Protestants and Catholics, and Martin Luther was working towards making a Bible that was accessible to the masses, Mm -hmm. and he decided that in the Old Testament, he was only going to include those books of the Bible that we had Hebrew manuscripts for, and so that gave us what most of us who grew up in a Protestant background are familiar with, uh, the 37 was no 39 books of the Old Testament. And now the Catholic Bible, for those of you who are curious, includes Tobit, Judith, first and second Maccabees. And if you know Hanukkah's story, uh, that's where that came from. Uh, the Wisdom of Solomon, Baruch, and Sirach. And now all of those books do predate Jesus. They were around before Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were written in Greek. And so they were read at the time, and they were actually included in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic Church uh, adopted the Septuagint and used the Septuagint because um, it was convenient. It was already out there. Uh, it was just already determined. The Old Testament canon had already been closed by this point. The Jews had already decided this about 200 years before Jesus was uh, born. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but the Septuagint had, had kind of taken on this life that uh, included these books. And um, so it w- became used within the Catholic Church. And there's, there's been some debate that the Catholic Church dropped some of these books at some point, that they brought them back at different points to justify different doctrines mm-hmm. like purgatory and indulgences. Um, now we're getting into very specific things, but overall the Catholic Bible has typically included these books. Martin Luther dropped them. And um, he he stuck with just the Hebrew books, which actually that's what most of the the Jews considered to be the bulk of the writing, the the Torah, the the Ketavim, the writings, and the prophets. 
so the uh, Torah, prophets, and writings. Sorry. I, I get Hebrew running around in my brain sometimes, and it's has like a collision with the English. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... so uh, to, to anticipate uh, another listener question, if anyone ever wonders why I'm always doing this, uh, <laughs> for our YouTube crowd, I'm always like looking off to the side. He's not um, ignoring me. Uh, well, part of that is... Part of the reason I look around is because I'm easily distracted. Um, but the other reason is I'm also engineering and producing everything. So I'm I'm having, a, like, every now and again, just making sure that everything's still up and running on, on our recorders. So... Yeah. In case you were curious on that one. Uh, yeah. 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 And he does get distracted and occasionally it's like, hey, tune in. But no. Uh, I, I'm listening. It's just if I stare right at Emily, I won't listen. So I've got to look at other things. What does it have to say about my face? Well, that's, that's <laughs> anyone I'm talking to. But okay. So yeah. So the Catholic Bible includes those books because they were traditionally considered to be very important books in Judaism, not necessarily as inspired as the other books, which are part of the Masoretic text, which are all Hebrew in origin. Uh, the other big point in that is that most of the books in the Old Testament are referred to in some way in uh, the writings of, of the apostles or the gospel writers. And so um, that those books are definitely kind of affirmed in the New Testament, uh, where maybe some of the other books aren't always. We do know we have some allusions to Enoch and uh, other Second Temple lit books that aren't included. By the way, Enoch is not included. Let me just go ahead since I threw it out there. Uh, somebody's going to ask the question, why is Enoch part of the Bible? Um, no, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm going to hit it because um, everybody always wants to complicate this question because uh, and, and you don't have to. In the, the Hebrew canon, which is their list of books for the Old Testament, one of the requirements that the book had to adhere to was it had to be written for all generations. And that meant that from the beginning of time to the end of time, this book should be true. And the thing about the book of Enoch, in the first two verses, it specifically says it was not written for the present generation, but for a future generation. And so in that statement, it excludes itself from the canon. It, there's, it, the makers of the Bible didn't need any other reason other than that. Right. So... Now, it's interesting, it was kept in the Ethiopic Bible, and so it was preserved that way, and that's the reason why we have copies of it today. Mm -hmm. But we did not have it for well over a thousand years, I think close to almost 2,000 years. A good little while. So, anyway, where are we with time? Oh, we got time. Don't worry okay. about time. I'll let you know when we run up on time. Okay. So, here's a fun question. I don't have any notes on this. I just put the question, do people really care about theology? Well, um, is you, are you asking me? <laughs> That was actually a listener question. I can, I can uh, give you my opinion. Um, I just kicked Nathan in the knee. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're kind of cramped here with, with having to set up the camera and everything. But the, uh, I can give you my opinion. Uh, I can tell you I care about theology, and you care about theology. Now, the other question is, what type of theology? Are we talking about, like, text, actually getting into the text and exegeting the text? Are we talking about systematic theology? That to me, to me, I think that's what everyone thinks of when they think of theology. They think of systematic theology, where you're going through and saying, "Well, why do we? Why do we believe? Uh, what does the Bible say about uh, infant baptism?" Infant, yeah, and then you go through and you look at all those verses, and then you come to a conclusion. Or what does you know? Just picking it, basically, just you know, Any like topic. 
like making theology like a dictionary of do's and don'ts or, you know, just, ugh. Yeah. It, just just shoot me in the foot. I think I would have a better time. <laughs> like, I really honestly think that might be more pleasant some days. But when you actually get into the text and start in uh, getting into the stories and looking at what they actually say and realizing, hey, Bible's kind of weird. <laughs> That's what excites me. And then being able to take that weirdness and make sense of it and, and, and being able to, to see everyday applications and to go, you know what? People have always been messed up. <laughs> and it's understatement of the year. I mean, oh my gosh, I do. I think it's hilarious to me when people talk about how different ancient cultures were than, than we are today, how they lived. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't have computers. They didn't have. But you know what? All computers and transportation did was give us quicker access to our vices. So, I mean, that's, I mean, for the most part. I mean, it, there's been a lot of good come out of them, too. I mean, I guess, I mean, theology is your vice. But, you know, but, you know, it, but, sorry. But it's, it's just, it's accelerated our ability to mess things up more quickly and in, and in a larger scale. Well, and I think people don't realize that theology doesn't always have to be uh, that very dry list of facts and figures almost, um, that theology really can be just getting into the Word. Yeah. And when we start talking systematics, when we start talking about dogmas and doctrine and all of that, you know, those are just kind of like the cliff notes for um, what a particular denomination mm -hmm. might, might perceive. And so, yes, because uh, I, I, this question came, because when she gave me the question, right after it was, how do, how do you pick a church? And so I think she was kind of asking the question in context was, do people really care about theology in the aspect of looking for a church? And I know I didn't put it out there. <laughs> well, well, yeah, if you put yeah. it that way, it's, that's a whole different question. Right. But I, I think it was good to, to actually look at, do, do people really care about theology? Now, with her question, do people in general really care about theology when picking a church? Or are there any pastors out there that actually care about theology and their sermons? Which that's a third question. Yeah, well, and, you know, inflection does a lot. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's the thing. I think when you're looking at church, yeah, you want to look at, at, at the theology of what they teach because you want to be able to know that you're going to be on the same page, that you're going to be able to in agreement. Now, there are some churches I've attended, I don't necessarily agree with all of their theology, right. but usually it's, it's points that I can live with. I don't think it necessarily violates biblical, uh, direct biblical teaching, right? but it might not, they might not hold the same interpretation of a biblical teaching that I do. Um, but I think overall, you need to be looking for some basic sound Mm -hmm. ideas and beliefs about the Bible. I mean, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to join, join another Jonestown. Right. Or yeah. Heaven's Gate. Yeah. It's, yeah. Is, is Jesus Lord? Did he pay for your sins? Did his work on the cross redeem humanity? Is there anything you can do for your own salvation? No. I'm going to answer that one for you. But these are questions that you need to answer. Yeah. Jesus is Lord. He, he, he paid for it. Everything else is, is largely debatable. Um, there are certain things that I you know, definitely would say you should probably tack on to lo look out for because there are definitely, definitely doctrines that people will tag on uh, and lead into spiritual abuse. Um, so, you know, be mindful of those things. But as far as the things that are not central to salvation, you know, as far, and if you're going to look at this as far as like selecting a church, 
my advice is find some place that doesn't teach anything counter to Christ. Or who, in addition to Christ. Or in addition to Christ, um, who has maybe a couple of outreach programs that you feel gifted in um, and whose uh, Sunday morning service you can at least tolerate. Um, because there's no perfect church. There's not. And and uh, case in point, I mean, you can find any kind of church you want in within 20 miles of where I live. You will find every single type of church. You'll find Catholic, All Eastern, Orthodox, <laughs> and then some. Uh, yeah, it's, it is amazing, um, the variety, but, you know, and for example, um, the church my wife and I are at right now, um, we have some, some differences in the way they do things. I personally, uh, I, I, I generally don't care for a church of that size. It is, it's a huge church with multiple services. Um, but we, we do feel like the pastor is speaking relevant truth to people. Um, he has preached some things that have probably cost some members here and there. Um, but at the same time, I don't hear anything heretical from him. Um, I don't really care too much for the music. I'm going to be honest. Um, and that's a style thing. The musicians are all talented. I mean, that's, that's, that's no knock on any of the musicians up there. They're, they're all fantastic. Um, but it's just a style thing. And I, you know, I think every generation has that. I'm just kind of probably getting old, but crossing that line, crossing that line. Yeah, I'm getting there. But the, um, but one of the the big things for us was um, that you know this church does um, it does allocate a good portion of their funds towards things like adoption assistance and helping uh, people who are in the foster system and those and those are things that that I feel like are important and a church that didn't have most of their priorities in line would probably not be putting anything towards those causes in in my estimation now I could be totally wrong. But if, if you're looking at how to select a church, yeah. But as far as do people really care about theology, yeah, we do. Um, and, and should you when selecting a church? Absolutely. And should the pastor? Yes. Otherwise, why is he even a pastor? Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's that. Well, and, you know, and I have to watch it because I don't want to get too into this because I, I can go off on a major tangent. Um, but there are stylistic things that even with the preaching and teaching that I have to draw myself back and go, that is style Mm -hmm. that that's not substance. He's still, he's probably speaking to where people are that may not be where I am. And and so I think you have to look at the overall, um, the overall heart of the church too. And look at our, like you said, are they actually engaged in programs that or actively engaged in reaching out? And it may not be a specific program. It may just be when you walk into that building, are the people warm? Are they inviting? Do mm-hmm. you make a connection? Uh, and, you know, and, and you need to be willing to make that connection yourself. You can't right. just put it on. Uh, yeah, you, you can go to the friendliest church in the world and still, for, you know, stave off anyone making a connection with you. So, yeah, you know, first off, make sure it's not you. Um, you know, that's something I, I it's have It's always to... a good starting point. I have to I have to work on myself with that sometimes too, or it's like, okay, am I just being difficult? And oftentimes the answer for me is yes. Um, I'm gonna put that out there and be honest. So <laughs> for me it's usually no, but you know. Right. <laughs> anyway, so uh but that's that's as far as selecting a church. You had one in here that I thought was kind of funny you skipped. Oh, did I skip it? Yeah, there was one. Um Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna line this one up. So for those of you who have, you know, you found your church, not even you found your church, but you, you know, you're solid in your faith. Um, 
fun things what are what are fun things to do with your fringe friends that are not Christians? <laughs> I love this. I forgot about so, this. So that that to me is a funny question. And uh the first answer is really good, uh, which is anything that does not violate biblical principles. <laughs> so anything don't don't let them lead you into sin. Uh you do have to draw the line there. Um but um other than that, you know, have fun. And then the second answer, I want you to go ahead and start that one. The, okay. Um, not making them a project. You don't have to try to get them saved anytime they are around. Seriously, guys, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Do you know the reason why my friend that, we start, that started off our question and answer time is still my friend? Because <laughs> I didn't preach at her every time she showed up at my house. Matter of fact, unless she or one of her sons, and she does have a son who brings it up, brought up matters of faith, I didn't even mention it because right. I didn't need to. Yeah. I love that. I wish I could find the source of this quote. If anyone out there knows this, please send me the source of this quote. It's sometimes the best witness you can have is to tell people you're a Christian and then don't be a jerk. Yeah. Because I feel like oftentimes we introduce ourselves as Christians or we identify our target and we introduce ourselves as a Christian and then we go, okay, now you have to accept Jesus right now. And, and there's a couple, there's some really bad repercussions for this. And number one is it, that person feels like they're just a chart, a number on a chart. Um, the same way that if they were going into uh, a, uh, you know, like a department store or something and they were being checked off as a customer, uh, you know, like I, I used to be in commission sales. Right. And one, one of the things we learned in commission sales is, no one wants to feel like a number. Don't make them feel like a number when they come in the door. And I feel like when we do that, you know, when we, we're basically, we're going out trying to get them to sign up. And the, the other thing is, um, there's, there's a strong, and you know, this, this is a very hard balance on the second one. There's a strong attention-seeking type of personality in the world. And I've seen people who have a very strong attention-seeking personality who like being the project. And they may profess to be a believer, or they may say they're struggling, that they might want to come to faith, but they're working on struggling to, be, to, to come to faith. And due to this strong attention-seeking type of personality, as long as they are the project, they will continue to show up at your small group. They'll continue to show up. They will be helpful. They will, they will uh, be a con- huge, strong, contributing member. They'll ask great questions. But the moment they are just one of the group, when they stop being your pet project, they leave, they're done, and you become one of the worst people they have ever met. Yeah. I've seen it happen time over and time and again. again. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, that's not saying don't help people. By all means, help people, love them, but do not do it with an agenda. Mm-hmm. Do not do it with an agenda. You will, you'll wind up hurting yourself. You'll wind up hurting them. Um, just you love people. You'll wind up hurting the church. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that's something that we, we forget. And, you know, what I really enjoy is whenever you stop treating that person like a project, then you aren't just constantly pouring into them. They're actually willing to share back with you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as I've walked with my friends who aren't believers, they've shared their stories. And they've told me their experience, uh, not just with other Christians, but just in life in general. And by learning their stories that now they aren't too scared to share with me because I might be too holy to hear it otherwise. Right. 
I'm learning and I'm becoming a better Christian and I'm better equipped at being able to minister to people in various backgrounds and stages of life mm-hmm. because I've walked with people who've been there. And a matter of fact, I was talking to um, somebody the other day. I, I do this all the time. But we were talking and I said, you know, I'm almost hesitant to even say what I do when I meet somebody for the first time mm-hmm. because they clam up. Right. They, they freak out. Oh, my goodness. You teach Bible. You teach. You, you, you're such a good Christian. No, I'm not. I'm a horrible Christian. But I am trying. And you know what? The thing is, I don't expect someone who doesn't share my faith to try as hard as I am. Right. There's, there's, that's ridiculous. So if you just kind of back off and just let people be who they are, don't participate in their sin, don't enable their sin, but at the same time, just being able to accept them. And, and I think, actually, I've got a blog post I'll need to put it on the website about my 15 guy, <laughs> suggestions for uh, witnessing. Okay. You know, but it, one of the things that I really encourage us as Christians to do is have other Christian friends who can hold us accountable mm-hmm. and help us come up with guidelines. What are things we're going to do? Now, if I'm going to hang out with somebody and they're going to have a few beers or what have you, not a problem. Uh, if there's somebody who's going to pull out some crack, I'm out of there. <laughs> you right. know, you need to know, need, know your boundaries and need to know, hey, this is where I draw the line and this is what I'm not participating mm-hmm. in. And so having other good Christian friends who invest in you and who you invest in will help keep that side of your your personality, your spirit strong. Yeah, and and real real Christian friends too. That was actually uh, that was at a that was at a I don't know what you would call it. Was it a conference? Was it a workshop? Was it? It was a thing, church thing. And we had a guest speaker, and he said something that was really made a lot of sense to me. And that was, if you only see your church friends at church functions, you're not really friends. That's good. And then another uh, speaker, I I don't it may have been the same speaker, but someone else at the same event said that one of the things that that when they started working with with growing their church and inviting people in who were not Christians to be part of their small groups and things like that, they said they they made a strong point of make friends with people and with people in the church that you can be the same around your church friend and your friend outside of church. Right. Because when people from outside the church come in with you, like you're like, you know, you, you met them at the coffee shop or at work or wherever, and they know you in a certain way, and then you get to, to church, and then your behavior changes, peace. You're like, people notice that. Oh, they yeah. see it in just a second. And so that's something else to do. You know, build, because I do see that. And, and, and I think sometimes, and again, evangelism is important. I, I, um, I know I, I kind of harp on the way we do evangelism a lot, but that's okay. Our listeners haven't had a chance to hear all that. Yet. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you haven't heard all that. There's a there's a backlog of that. Well, it'll come out one day. But I think we put such a high priority on 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 evangelism that we've got people trying to figure out how like well how do I be how can I, how can I be better friends to someone outside the church? And it's like you're not even friends with people inside the church. Why you know like <laughs> get the cart you're getting the cart before the horse, and so. You know why? Why would why would we want to bring someone into a place into a group of people that that barely talk anyway? You know, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm going off on my tangent there. I'm getting a little, but no, <laughs> a little it, uptight on it. it sorry, it's true. And, and the thing is, I think the world needs more Christians that they don't have to be scared of. Uh-huh. Because the only Christians that I found a lot of 
people who are not part of the church anymore who may have been used to have been a part of the church and have left because of, of the way Christians treated them. And they don't want to be around someone who's going to be judgmental and angry. And I know that's kind of got, in some Christian circles, even that idea is not very popular because they're, oh, well, now you're being wishy-washy. You're being uh, too, what's the word? I, I, I'm, I'm not taking a affirmative stand with right. what I believe in. The thing is, I'm not responsible for how they behave. I'm responsible for how I respond to them. Right. And so just because I can love someone who may be involved in sin doesn't mean that I am going to participate or going to enable. And I think that's the thing. We are so, okay, my soapbox. <laughs> we teach abstinence on so many things, and not just sex, but abstinence, but we never teach responsibility. And I think the church right. is scared of personal responsibility. I think our society is scared of personal responsibility. And oh, I, yeah. we think we need to stop going, oh, well, I can't be around that person because they're going to cause me or make me or I'm not going to have a choice except to do with it. No, that, that's just, that's garbage. You are responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. And I need to have a faith that's strong enough to help me be around somebody who might be involved in tempting behaviors and not participate. So uh, I'm responsible for me. I need to live out my faith faithfully and with integrity. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That draws people. That excites people. That interests people. That intrigues people. When I can sit there and have a conversation with someone that they know I don't agree with them. Right. They know I'm not going to participate with them. But we can still be friends. And they still, they don't doubt my love for them and my genuine concern for their well-being. And that, I think that's powerful. And I'm thinking of a cousin we have who is just shocked at how much we actually love him. Yeah. And we do. We Do we mm -hmm. agree with everything he does? Not, no, no, not at <laughs> we, all. But, we have to but scroll we through him. his Facebook page and go, didn't see that, didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> but we still love him. So if you're listening, babe, you know who you are. So. Yep. So, well, hey, I think that's a good place to end. Um, we're running a little long today, but that's okay. Um, just listen to the rest of it tomorrow. So, um. But if you like what you heard, as usual, um, please hit the subscribe button. Share us with a friend. Um, that's probably the biggest help we can get, uh, to share, share, share. Um, if you really like what you heard, um, write us a review. Uh, we, we love that. And um, then if you really, really like what you heard, uh, we promise we are trying to get the Patreon up and running. We're still working on bonus content and things like that. You know, we don't want you paying for what you're not getting. Um, but... Uh, we do have some really affordable levels of support there if you want to help keep us going. Uh, we do appreciate it. In the meantime, uh, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.